Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast, the podcast for games on all platforms, including your table. I am Daniel Winter. And this is Mark Yuasa. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm uh, under the weather again, so oh, please no. <laughs> excuse my stuffed nose and my odd sounding voice. It is that time of year. We've been snowed in uh, this weekend here in Vancouver. It sure is that time of year, and I am... Uh, engaging in a well, uh, well-known Canadian tradition of downing bottle of Buckley's mixture <laughs> straight from the bottle. Is, now, that is medicine, right? That's not alcohol. <laughs> it is medicine, and they tell me it's not alcoholic. But you, you do look pretty much like an alcoholic taking sips out of this little brown bottle. Uh-huh. <laughs> so don't mind me. Well, I hope you feel better soon, and it does provide time for hibernating indoors with some games. Yeah, that's right. I feel like I've done that all weekend with much of my family being ill. Yeah, lots of games to go around. I have some stories to tell. Excellent. Well, so this episode will be covering for our featured game, Orleans, or is it Orleans, <laughs> the, uh, the board game. Uh, but we've got some news and some other games we've been playing to cover first. Yeah, what's what's news for you? Yeah, I wanted to mention a, a fun event I attended at my friendly local game store, Rain City Games here in downtown Vancouver. They have a location in New Westminster as well. But uh, at the downtown location, they had an event called The Might to Rule, which was uh, put together by the Vancouver Asian Canadian Theatre Group, VACT.ca. And uh, it was basically uh, like a mix of a live play RPG plus improv. Uh, So it was basically like actual play on stream, but in person. Huh. Uh, and it was really nice. And surprise to me, I thought they were just going to play D&D or something, but they happened to play the Root tabletop RPG system, which is based off of the board game. Yes, so, yeah. I s- uh, saw that this was a nice surprise. being advertised, and I, I, wasn't sure, I couldn't get an idea as to whether... I mean, you could buy tickets for it, but it, it, it seemed to be implied that you were buying tickets to be part of the game. But this was, it was actually a, a more of a theater show that you watch, right? It was by donation. Yeah, so I bought tickets, but the people next to me may not have paid any money. And uh, it was mostly adults in the audience, but I took my 11-year-old. And I think there was one other kid there. But uh, yeah, everything was PG <laughs> as far as the content went. But the hijinks were pretty darn hilarious. And uh, yeah, it was really fun fun and funny. And I think they did a great job. Excellent. I, I don't know much about that actual game. I know, I know Root, obviously, but not know, know much about the RPG system. Is it, is it based on another role-playing system, do you know? I don't know specifically, but I know that it was definitely uh, a lot more rules light than uh, a D&D or a similar system like Pathfinder. They had some cool concepts like, what would you call it, a debt system? Hmm. And basically, you can conjure up any item or object or thing that you need. But each time you do, you sort of incur this debt. And that's my terminology, not the game term. And you do that at your own peril. <laughs> like when you really need something, you might not you might not be able to incur that debt or else something will happen to you. It's a bit and of a karma system almost? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a kind of, you know, like push well, almost push your luck if you want to talk about it that way. It uses a 2D6 system and basically Anything seven plus is a success, but like seven to seven to nine is like a weak success. So it's like a success with a with a setback, I guess you could say. 
if anyone knows how dice roll, like in Catan, seven is is the most likely occurrence. So you're like likely to succeed, but you may get some curveballs. And then if you get above ten plus or whatever, you're you're like a super success or a critical. So you're all good. Excellent. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm very. I mean, obviously, the universe of Root is one of the most interesting parts of it for me, at least. Uh, so, yeah, quite curious to see how that is. I'll have to keep an eye out for them doing. Are, are they, do you know? Are they planning to do that event again? Yeah, they they actually did the event over two days that weekend. They did it Saturday and Sunday. I just attended the Sunday one, but at the end of the session, they said they were definitely planning to do this sort of thing again. Exciting! Excellent. And I know uh, that Rain City Games is hosting another event next weekend that I might be going to. It's a launch party for Rebuilding Seattle, right? A uh, game we've discussed by uh, our my friend of the show, uh, Quinn Brader. Quinn Brander, yeah. Brander, sorry, yes. Yeah, I think he'll be there in person. And of course, we got to see Quinn at the event at the Turquoise Goat. So it was great to see him recently. And we we, we had a, chat, a nice chat with him. Check that episode where we discuss uh, rebuilding Seattle in a bit more depth. Yes, also I'll definitely be checking that out. And I just uh, happened to get a, a little gift card from Rain City for my birthday. So I'll definitely be going down there again soon. Oh, very, very good. Happy birthday, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. We'll, we'll pass by the time this is actually out. <laughs> Nice. Uh, so yeah, I, I've got not much to talk about. The, the board gaming world has been a buzz this last week that there is a new number one game in town on Board Game Geek that is Brass Birmingham. Bit of a uh, an odd one coming up from behind. It's an older release, been out for quite a while, and I think it's more to do with Gloomhaven losing. It's not no, 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 no longer being in the zeitgeist, especially with Frosthaven now out. That uh, Brass Birmingham has snuck up from behind. I don't put a lot of stock in the in the number in the, the ratings on BGG though. Personally, uh, I don't know about you. Yeah, I didn't even know that Brass Birmingham was in the top <laughs> ten. So that goes to show how much I I know. I will, I will. I am planning to play that this next week. A bit of a uh, excuse to to check that game out again. It's been a while. Oh yeah, I think it's a solid game. I played it. The nice addic- edition from Roxley. Yes, that's what I have. Deserves all the kudos that it's been given. The production quality is is fantastic. It plays really smoothly, and it looks great, uh, even for being kind of a brownish euro but it's got some purple in there so kudos to that yeah the night side of the board is is quite more more interesting to look at uh but i mean i'm specifically not talking about that game uh i I thought this might be a good excuse uh to talk about uh, another game adjacent thing that's been happening lately Uh, is that that the last of us tv show is currently uh, airing it's a couple of episodes away from the end so i've been watching that it's the first show in a while that we've been watching sort of day and date on, on, on release and actually being part of the discussion around it. So that's been fun. Are are you watching the show at all? Uh, I am not. I have played the last of us, the first game. I know that there's two, I haven't played the sequel and I played the last of us a little while ago, but I thought it was a fantastic, you know, really seminal video game experience. Certainly one of the strongest narrative uh, stories uh, and characterizations in a video game I've ever played. So I, I, I didn't have any doubt that they would do uh, a, at least a very interesting job with the TV uh, production of it. Absolutely. It's, it's in good hands uh, with Craig Mazin, who's previously made Chernobyl, obviously a very prestige film, and uh, S- Scary Movie 3, I think. <laughs> Definitely not prestige. <laughs> right, but um, isn't uh, don't they have people from 
Neil Druckmann, oh, yeah, Druckmann. from the, the one of the, the, the co-creators of the original game is, is involved. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's really involved. interesting. They're, it's extremely faithful most of the time to the point that it's almost uncanny valley just how much they're recreating these set pieces and dialogues word for word. Uh, it can be a little distracting sometimes just how close they're hewing to that. But then on occasion, they'll really throw a spinner in the works and change large elements without spoiling anything but it's, it's been an interesting perspective to to it highlights almost some things that didn't work about the game like there's obviously with naughty dog games especially there's all these discussions of the ludo narrative dissonance with all the people you're killing and everything and this is a show that doesn't have the need for you to be killing someone every five minutes how is the crouch walking in the box puzzles <laughs> Well, they specifically make excuses for a Joel being 50 years old, and so he can only walk up so many stairs that he's constantly complaining about his old knees. There are, there are some little nods to those small mechanical elements of the game, but it, it's, it is really interesting when it's not beholden to the the constant action. Like the the game will go, sorry, the show will go several episodes without seeing a, a zombie, for lack of a better term. And yeah, I've, I've really been enjoying it. Very, very stylish film, very well acted, obviously. All of the original cast from the game play smaller sort of bit roles. They play other characters in the show, which is, which is a cute little Easter egg. Yeah, that is cool. Well, I will definitely be interested in watching that after I get through uh, Andor and the latest season of Stranger Things. Yes, I'm, I'm very excited for you to uh, continue watching Andor. That was my favorite show of last year, which I was quite surprised. I am not a Star Wars fan <laughs> in general. Yeah. I was just uh, saying, saying that because I, it goes to show how far behind I am on TV. <laughs> okay, well, uh, what else have you been playing lately? I've been playing a range of stuff. So in terms of tabletop, I, I, I was in the United States recently in, in the local town, Bellingham, Washington, and uh, we just went there with the family to, you know, for a change of pace, really. I just bought myself a little uh, intro set of a game I've been interested in called Battletech. And and I know this is uh, not a new game. The Battletech has been around since I was a kid. And I never tried it. But it was always, I, I like mechs. I like sci-fi. And it I had heard that it was a cool, you know, kind of entry into more tabletop wargaming type stuff but i like the fact that it's set on a grid the set is called the um, beginner box the battletech beginner box it's the latest edition from i think WizKids is the current uh, rights holder and it includes two minis and then eight or so cardboard standees a double-sided hex based map and then laminated character sheets for each mech and its variants there's something about landing a hit on the opponent and then marking those little HP uh, pips with a dry erase marker on those laminated mm. sheets that just creates such pleasure <laughs> in you. Uh, it just feels really, for lack of a better term, visceral and like nerd worthy. Me and my oldest, my 11 year old, were really kind of bowled over when we tried a, a game of it. We took probably like three hours to finish a two two v two skirmish over the course of a single day, and then just today we played like half half a fight over like an hour and a half, and even that was fun. So yeah, we're enjoying ourselves. 
Excellent. I mean, that, that universe feels very sort of cobbled together with analog technology, I guess. So I guess like sort of scratching things down in person is very true to form. Uh, in, in a very yeah, it's it's sort of like way. a poor man's. Uh, it's sort of like a poor man's forty k, uh, with a lot of the Britishisms stripped away, which I, I kind of enjoy. <laughs> uh, I can't get into Warhammer. No, no soccer hooligans here. <laughs> no, I can't really get into Warhammer at all, and and like this sort of the grim dark aspects of it and i know battletech like has a, a large degree of pretty deep lore built into it that uh they have novels and things like that but i don't know anything about that at all <laughs> i'm just saying the systems so far pretty enjoyable but pretty old school i will say it seems like there's some alternate systems like there's this system that our good friend of the show uh, channing from rain city games was telling me about called alpha strike which is a sort of like a hybrid that can kind of converts uh battletech into a more tabletop war gamer you know with your measuring tape and fast big battles so that sounds pretty interesting interesting yeah i, I know training is quite the expert he's literally written books on battletech but you, tell me has ha, have there been different editions or has, has it changed much over the years that you know I've definitely seen old editions from the 80s and 90s, and the current edition looks quite new and polished, uh, at least kind of contemporary with the latest editions of uh, Shadowrun, which is a, a mm, series yes. and setting I am more familiar with. I think Shadowrun and Battletech were both owned by FASA back in the day, so they were probably snatched up at around the same time. They're sort of sibling series. They seem to get upgrades at around the similar pace. But Battletech has a huge following, but not so much in Vancouver, it yeah, seems I, like. Yeah, I've played a little bit of the video game. Uh, I think I think it's just called Battletech. That it's it's quite a lot. Uh, you have like, it's, it's sort of an RTS-style campaign. Oh, not really RTS, more tactics, I guess. Uh, campaign game. But there's a lot of micromanagement and things to, 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 to work through. And like Warhammer has received, there's multiple editions. Like I said, there's that Alpha Strike or yeah. whatnot, but Mech Warrior is a sibling series. It's a related, as is Mech Assault, which longtime Xbox fans will remember being one of the early Xbox wow. Live-enabled series on the OG <laughs> Xbox, which I put quite a lot of time into. What a thrill getting into those mechs and playing online with human beings on a console it just seemed like the future and and uh, it, that that series was right there at the right time well perhaps we should take a closer look at battletech in a future episode whether on, on the table or, or on the screen we'll, we'll have a look maybe we will okay well on my table lately i've been playing a little game called june imperium heard of that one following our recent episode on that a friend of mine went basically all in on, on the game he bought everything there is to to find for it including the deluxe upgrades including some Etsy bling, uh, it's like third-party upgrades. And so he brought that over this last week with the Immortality expansion, which we hadn't played as per the last episode. So we played through that and, uh, yeah, had a, had a blast with a, a three-player game. So just briefly, it basically adds a whole new deck of cards. So it's a second market of cards for you to buy car uh, buy into your, into your deck. They are all quite powerful, but require a whole extra currency. So basically, is I, I think thematically, you're basically harvesting 
bodies off the battlefield. But there's a special there's a specialized symbol that comes up on some cards that will let you basically commit one of your soldiers from your reserves as a currency. And then you can spend those. Uh, but some of these cards have this system called graft where you can only play them if you're attaching them to another card. So you play two cards simultaneously as you as you place a worker, basically, and then you get the effects of both, which is, which is tough because managing your hand is so tricky in that game because you only have five cards, and the more that you play, the less you're going to have for you the end of your turn and your reveal phase. So it really is another puzzle of, of what you're going to prioritize in this game, but there's also some really clever combos you can build because some cards you can only play if it's crafted to something else but you get a, a cool benefit when you do so and so you can really craft some some clever uh strategies more sort of unique combos in in this version of the game there's another little faction board the i'm not even going to try and pronounce it <laughs> but it's a, a faction board associated with with this expansion um that works a little like a tech tree working way up through that uh so yeah i i had a lot of fun with with that expansion the previous listeners will know I had a pretty uh, favorable opinion of the base game, at least, and the first expansion, which we tried. But um, uh, I'm heartened to know that there are a lot more meaty expansions to be had after those uh, the initial one. Yeah, and it, this really leans into the weirder side of Dune, like people turning themselves into human-worm hybrids and something called a chair dog. <laughs> I think I saw a picture you put on social media. Yes, yeah, but, but I think uh, the last question's asked the better. <laughs> yeah, seems a bit odd to me. Uh, just quickly, I th- one other game I think worth mentioning since we both played this together, and that is Point City from Flat Out Games. It's a, right. something of a sequel to Point Salad. Came out a few years ago, sort of light entry level sort of card game. What, what, did, what did you think of Point City? Tell me. <laughs> Yeah, well, it certainly falls in the kind of fast-playing, kind of light strategy mold of a Point Salad, which I, I enjoy quite a bit. It was uh, it took a little bit of a learning curve to get used to. Uh, it's not nearly as pick-up-and-play, I would say, as Point Salad is. Uh, Point Salad is very easy to get people on the entry level into. But uh, Point City, I think, requires a little bit more conceptualizing and and you need to know about timing and then there's a little bit of a fiddly upkeep i thought with how the cards had to be laid out in this grid and flipped over but uh putting those points aside generally i had a favorable opinion of it it had just the right amount of strategy for a a game of its uh, length yeah point salad absolutely is a very simple easy to teach game a little too simple it, it's it's left me a little bit wanting it's good to bring out for, for friends who are big gamers but personally i, I want something a, with a little more meat on it and th- this it does provide just enough of an edge for me i think there's an actual sense of engine building you're actually placing you, you're buying cards that that become a permanent resource that make future cards cheaper to buy so there's this real sense of progression over the course of the game uh and this is a great puzzle like there's this grid of cards some are buildings and some are resources to pay for those buildings and you have to draft two cards that are adjacent to each other so it can be this really clever puzzle of trying to find a combo in there uh of, of which cards you're going to pick so that, that i found that a really great special 
puzzle. Uh, I should say this game it isn't currently out. It's coming to Kickstarter next month. So it's a couple of weeks away. Keep an eye out for that. I've been putting a few more Nintendo Switch games on hold from my local library. You never know when they're going to come in because they're obviously shared between all the people using the system. They kind of all came at once. So I've been, I played like a little bit of 13 Sentinels because I know you had played it and it uh, has very cool artwork and cool setting. And it, it has a sort of mystery built into it. Like there's time travel and characters passing each other by and then, there's even mistaken identities and um, amnesia and stuff like that. So if you like those kooky Japanese sci-fi mech stories slash video games, you know, like your Rampas or your 999s, you'll probably enjoy this series. Although I didn't make it very far in the game. Yeah, I got like halfway through and then had to return it and I've lost momentum on it. But it was, it was really clever storytelling. That you, there's basically 13 playable characters and you start it with like one or two unlocked. And then you, as you progress through one, you unlock another character. And you're often seeing the same events from a different perspective or a different timeline. And this is, everything's told out of order. So there's this real sense of a puzzle piece that you, as, as you're gradually filling in the gaps in this timeline and then forming this puzzle. And that, that's all very straightforward. I mean, it's not linear in terms of the actual time, but it, it, it is linear in the sense that you're just working through this storyline. Yeah. There, there is there is actual combat. This little weird little tactical combat, which I thought wasn't particularly noteworthy. Like I'd rather just focus on the story, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I feel like the the tactical strategy game was kind of bolted on, and it was fun in its own right, but sort of felt disjointed. I think, like you you were indicating, and uh, not nearly as compelling as the narrative. But I don't think the game might have succeeded very very well if it just was a visual novel because that's still not a very popular genre in north america no no i, I have been meaning to revisit that one if you're a fan of of yeah those these weird sci-fi <laughs> anime stories i uh, definitely come going back to that one uh, another game i tried out quickly um i just picked up this past week is a game called metroid what is it dread yes that was the most recent the, metroid yeah yeah the most recent 2d metroid not uh, of course a brand new entry into the series and of course i grew up playing the metroid games never really i don't know if i even have beat any of the metroid games you know i love the genre of metroidvania obviously it was the originator i don't know how much of dread you played but it 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 strikes an interesting balance with what are they called the emmys yeah they're sort of mini bosses that stalk you around the map yeah, they sure do stalk you. They're they're sort of like those um, Boston Dynamics like robotic dogs, <laughs> <laughs> kind of. They sl- slash crossed with a xenomorph from Aliens. They sneak along the ground and sneak along the ceilings and climb up walls. And basically, they're as mobile and possibly more so than your character Samus is. So you really have to sort of deke and and sneak and and, and jump around and evade them, almost to a fault. Like it was very thrilling doing that the first few times and managing to explore while evading. But I don't know. Part of why I enjoy Metroidvanias is because they're sort of meditative. Mm-hmm. Like you can just sort of go at your own pace and explore and then trying to tease things out. Yeah. And I thought that was a bit counter to that spirit that I enjoyed from the previous entries. Yeah. I seem to recall the way you sort of solve those being quite, 
linear too. There's basically you put into these little arenas with these Emmys and there's basically one way out in terms of it's like a little puzzle to solve in terms of trying to sneak past them. So yeah, I, I don't think it does a great job of the tension for me. And I, I also just struggled with the sense of place. Like I, I got really confused. You zip around the map so fast. I got completely lost. I had no real sense of place in that game. <laughs> yeah, it, it, a lot of backtracking required and hard to know where you need to go next, I found. Right, but I haven't spent too much time in that, so I should do it a bit more. But what the game I've been spending the most amount of time on Switch has been Xenoblade Chronicles, the ah, original. Ah, yes. You mentioned it last episode, and I'm finding it pretty darn enjoyable. Mm. Yeah, I, w- I was really surprised how much of a good impression it left up front. Yeah, and, and it's an older game too. You can tell by the very like Final Fantasy X style, you know, bangles and buckles and <laughs> suspenders on all the characters' costumes. But, uh, it, you know, it's, I don't hate that exactly either. So it's more, it looks more it's, Dragon Quest to me, the art style and sort of design yeah. aesthetic. Yeah, a cross between Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy from that era. And it's got a bit of that Final Fantasy. 12 style faux mmo thing going for it so finding that pretty enjoyable yeah i've not gone back to that one i i've also had some clashes with my uh, library loans that i'll discuss shortly uh so i I've, I've not gone back to that but i i have redeemed one of my nintendo switch vouchers so i'll definitely be going back to that soon no oh, very cool all right I'll, I'll leave it there for games i've been playing as i just alluded to uh, i i've had several games come in from the library that i'd put on hold months ago and have just all come in at once as, as always i've got a couple to pick up this week what was it uh luigi's mansion and yoshi's crafted world i think i, I picked i grabbed those to work through with my daughter but uh one i've been playing this last week is pikmin 3 so talking about tinykin last episode put me in a mood for for playing with a bunch of little guys and i'd never played a pikmin game as far as i could tell i don't know that one and two are, are actively available anywhere. Googling it, it did say that it was a there was like a remastered bundle, but I did not on on Switch. But when I searched on on Switch, I didn't see it anywhere. So I just grabbed three from the library, and I'm having a blast so far. It's really has more of a feel of like a, an RTS, like a real time strategy game, where you're sort of managing this army. You have like up to a hundred guys, but you can decide what. The ratio of that is going to be the different colors. So I've, I've got like three different colors of, of Pikmin so far. They all have different uses, both in terms of puzzle solving and in combat. There's a whole bunch of, of little beasties spread around the map that you need to attack and sort of beating those and taking their bodies back to the your, your base that you basically spawn more Pikmin. But, but every, uh, every, every creature has a little puzzle in terms of how to solve it or what type is best effective against them, uh, like actual boss battles. And, and the actual puzzle solving isn't its not particularly tricky. It's more of an order of try, trying to figure out what order do you need to unlock things in because there's this real sense of these sprawling wide maps that you have to unlock shortcuts to, to find your way around and carry things back to your base. And so I'm finding it very satisfying. It's a little more involved than, than Tinykin in terms of them of managing sort of you're basically queuing up your pikmin's tasks multiple tasks at a time and yeah really, really enjoying that one i should say you also have like three different playable characters 
that you're sort of managing at once. So you can you can have no, like three different that. groups you're you're sort of spreading around to try and it's actually it's a it's like a day cycle, which is quite interesting. You, each you go into a map and you've got like ten minutes to do everything you can, uh, and you can go back multiple times. And sensibly, there's a there's a limit. It's like you're trying to get food, and if you run out of food, then something bad happens, I guess. But I'm I'm finding more food than I consume, so it's more just a a, 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 a light time limit because you can go back to that level as many times as you want and keep unlocking more things uh and so it's this little optimization puzzle of trying to spread your dudes around efficiently and uh yeah good fun for sure any other cool stuff you've been playing i've been playing a lot more oxygen not included i think you've discussed this previously it's a little human ant farm game having a lot of fun just building about that my, my, my little commune there i did hit a bit of a wall you very quickly start unlocking things that just seem very complicated in terms of like computer wires and and engines and and things it doesn't really do a good tutorialization in explaining and so you basically hit this wall of okay am i going to commit to this am i going to take the dark road of looking up video tutorials <laughs> which i did i have taken the dark road uh but i i'm really enjoying that game very cool to hear that yeah i i uh i have said before how i have a love-hate relationship with this game i love it too much and i hate myself for playing it so much that i've had to forcibly uninstall it from my computer at times just so i can get back to having a semblance of a life but the cool thing i like about it well a couple things uh, a couple of things is it's clay entertainment. So uh, it's just got such a lovely look to it. The artwork is, is great and not, you know, overstated or anything. It's humorous despite being, you know, very mechanical and dry in a lot of ways. It's basically all about systems, but it also has a ton of personality because of the, because of the procedurally generated characters and their, their reactions and interactions, even when they, <laughs> yeah, even when they die, it's hilarious. <laughs> Or they get poisoned or something like that. Just watching them suffer is kind of <laughs> kind of a blast. Uh, well, I definitely be have been doing honest. that. I don't know about you. <laughs> oh yeah, and the, and and I don't think it's a, a a great evil to look things up. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of one of those games that you you you're. I think you're encouraged to look up uh, videos and tutorials and wikis because it is all about the systems. Um, you know, it's how to run and operate a mach machinery, right? So there's no shame in that at all. Yeah. It does have me wanting to revisit don't starve that I've bounced off a couple of times in the past, but, but it does have that clay personality without the needs for the, the deep systems interactions. I mean, it does have systems, but not quite as nitty gritty. I, I'm I, I seem to recall. Yeah, I like Don't Starve too, but I haven't played a ton of it. So maybe you and I should play some Don't Starve together. Yes, yeah. I've been looking for an excuse to try that version. So let's look into that. Very nice. Okay, shall we jump on over to our featured game? Yeah, absolutely. All right, the game we are playing or talking about tonight, uh, you've already mentioned, is called Orléans. It came out way back in 2014, which is almost 10 years ago now that I think about it. And the designer is Reiner Stockhausen, who designed such games as its uh, successor, Altiplano, 
he also designed a game called Siberia, which I'm interested in trying. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, but this was illustrated by Clemens Franz, who you would recognize from many a classic hero, such as Agricola and Grand Austria Hotel, published by DLP Games, and I believe Capstone Games here in North America, at least. I mean, I should say it was originally published by Tasty Minstrel, I believe, who's now out of business, sadly. And Capstone has picked up a lot of their, their back catalogue. Yeah, RIP. Tasty Minstrel put out so many games that I enjoy, at least of, not least of which is Eminent Domain, one of my favorite games. In Yokohama, which we've uh, previously discussed here. Most certainly. So what kind of game is this, Daniel? So this is uh, I mean, essentially a worker placement game, You, but rather than having a a set number of, of, of workers each turn, you are drawing them out of a bag. So I don't know that this is the first bag building game. I I, I, I don't, it's certainly the first I played, put it that way. Uh, I, I'm not sure if any other games preceded this, but you have a, a bag of tokens of various classes uh, of worker that you're then drawing out X number of at the start of your turn, and that dictates what kind of actions you can take. Right. Yeah, I don't think it was the first bag builder. I think if you take it back to the first bag builder, it was probably a game called Puzzle Strike. Oh, yes, yes. Which was came out very shortly after uh, Dominion and the explosion of deck building games. And I think that game was pretty much Dominion played with chips in a bag. But uh, this, this, I feel like this is the first new bag builder that sort of opened up a new type of, you know, deeper strategy, sort of more strategic that mechanic, right? And of course, I already mentioned Alta Plano was a successor, spiritual successor to Orleans, and there it's gone in other directions with later games like um, Quacks of Quedlinburg. Mm-hmm. Or one one of my recent favorites is Meeples and Monsters, I, I believe it's called, which is a bit of a like a Lords of Waterdeep with bag building. Oh, cool! I haven't tried that. I, I'd like to hear more about that at some point. Orleans, yeah, I um, this game did come out a while ago, so I've played it in the past, and of course we've played it more recently, and it does seem a little bit dated. Um, certainly the the Clemens Franz artwork kind of takes you back to the good old <laughs> days of Agricola and um, some of the Uve games, like one of my other favorites, Le Havre. Oh, yes. it, it definitely fits in nicely with those very well-regarded games. And it's it doesn't have a lot of visual flair. I think the artwork is quite serviceable and quite attractive. Uh, we should say that the game is sort of set uh, nominally in the, uh, I guess, the Crusades. So uh, people are literally going on pilgrimages to the Holy Land, presumably. And the artwork just looks like a illuminated manuscript from those periods. So it is kind of muted colors and very 2D uh, character art, but quite quite charming in its own regard. Yeah, I don't. Clemens has never been one of my favorite artists, but I do think it is quite fitting here more so than something like a Gricola. Like it, it, it does, it is quite stylish in its own way, uh, fitting the sort of setting I, I i guess here and i mean it does it, setting wise it, it does really feel like a generic medieval theme you've just got a bunch of monks and you get a bunch of merchants running around like it's not like anything you're doing feels like it's set in a particular time and place really but the the, the art style does does set, it does a good job of setting that setting that tone yeah absolutely i like 
My One of my favorite aspects of this game is that the tokens that go into your bag are the workers. So when you're placing out a token, that is the worker placement. And most actions in this game require more than one. Some take one, two, or three worker placements. And the, the worker tokens themselves have a colored background, and then they have like a side uh, 2D profile of a character. And when you look down on your player board, of which everyone has one, you have this little space along the bottom, which has all the characters kind of milling around, standing up with their full body profiles. Uh, and it, it just looks so cute to me. So <laughs> something about it looks like a cartoon slash illuminated manuscript. And I find that very charming. Yeah, I should say, as far as the worker placement goes, you, everyone's placing these workers on their own individual boards there's not really competition uh for central spaces like there is in most games in that genre it, it, it reminds me of paladins of the west kingdom in which you know, m- most of your workers are just going towards your your own board and trying to, more of an optimization puzzle really than the direct clash yeah it is interesting it, it kind of like straddles the line between a work is it a poor worker placement game or is it not? So, so much so that most of the time you can take actions simultaneously. Yes, which, which does a good job of keeping things moving. Which would certainly put it in the non-worker placement camp because notoriously, worker placement is all about blocking people off. But a core rule of this game is that at any point, any player can say, let's do this in turn order. So every round, there is a first player token and it does go around in clockwise fashion. But in an entire round, you could do everything could be simultaneously uh, executed, and they most certainly are earlier in the game. But what's cool about the actions is that most of the actions you take, certainly the majority of the actions you take early in the game, will move your personal marker up a track. And that's where some of the player interaction happens. So there's multiple tracks associated with the majority of the actions, but not every action has a track, right? Some, you just gain a token, the monastery, for instance, and then some, you do movement on this map. But I would still say the vast majority, you do move along these tracks, and as you move your personal token along, you gain some advantage or you take a particular action, but you might compete to gain these one-time bonuses on these tracks. Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. Most of the actions you take on your board are in the effort of, of, of gaining an extra token, which also pushes you up the, the corresponding track. And so it provides this interesting dichotomy of you, basically every action you do is doing these two separate actions. So A, you're getting a token. B, you're going up a track and getting some benefit. That benefit might be increasing how many tiles you draw at the start at the start of your turn it might be uh, a cog that fills in a space on your board like a, a permanently fills in a space on your boards that you no longer have to place a worker there so it's a slight sense of sort of engine building and and pushing your your abilities expanding your, your options but that is often separate from the benefits of getting the worker so you're taking action can often feel at odds. You're doing these two things, but you might want one and not the other. You might want the benefit, but you might not want the token because the tokens are filling up your bag and quickly within a few rounds, you're, you've got, oh, now you've got too many brown workers and all you're, all you're drawing are brown workers. There's, there's no way of trashing 
tokens in this game, like in like in a deck building game. Once they're in your bag, that you're stuck with them. Yeah, well, there there is one way to trash well, your tokens, but yes. that's <laughs> sort of a, a later game strategy that we'll we'll certainly touch upon. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, it's this mechanism, this dual mechanism of moving up the track and gaining the token, which I totally failed to mention, by the way, <laughs> in my first explanation. It, it reminds me a lot of um, a game I like called Eminent Domain. Mm-hmm. If you do an action over and over, you get better at that action, or you get more of the cards you need to perform that action and likewise if you take an action in this game like going to the castle you'll gain a knight and you'll have more knights in your bag but funny enough those extra tokens are are going to be critical to performing a range of other tasks the knight is critical for performing tasks like moving around the um it's basically a map of france and you can move by taking wagons along roads or you can move by taking ships along rivers and you can build guild halls which you sort of gain dominance on that map and all three of those actions requires a knight but most of the actions do not so you're right if you take the castle action early on gain a bunch of knights you might stymie yourself because those three actions i just told you about are kind of like mid to late game strategies Mm. So there's a lot of fluidity and managing your bag and what's in it is kind of the core of this game, part and parcel to the strategy yeah, of this game. Yeah, it's a big sense of balance. You have to spread yourself out. Of- there are some, like the, the monks, for example, that are basically wild. So drawing those is pretty key. They're a little harder to come by and they don't have a, a track. So you don't really get a, a secondary benefit with that. Uh, there are these events as well that might prevent you from gaining a, a monk, uh, but those are randomly distributed each round. You basically flip up this event, and some of them might say, most of them are bad. Most of them are bad for, for you. You'll lose coins, or you will um, have to pay up a resource, or you might not be able to gain a monk. The monks yes. are great to have, and some actions actually require that you have the monk. So monk can stand in for any other uh, type of thing, but some strictly require a monk and you can only put a monk. Shall we talk about the basic type of actions a little bit in more detail? Yeah, yeah, go go ahead. One thing I thought, I wouldn't say that there's a dominant strategy. I feel like there are actions that are stronger than others, but you really kind of have to cover a lot of bases. So I feel like the actions that you have to take the most of are kind of smack dab there in the middle of the board of the of, of the tracks well, the ones that i go to probably the most often are the craftsmen which gains you this uh, technology cog this technology wheel and you can take that wheel and at the end of the round you can put it over one of the worker spaces so an action that took three workers will now only take two workers and none of the color that you happen to override. There's some restrictions with that. So Craftsman, pretty critical, gives you the brown token. Trader uh, uh, gives you these um, building tiles, I guess they're called. Yeah. Which are sort of like new actions that are are, are limited exclusively just to you. Some of them are, are like passive bonuses. Like there's one that makes blue tiles are now basically wild. Right. Uh, but most of them are... A new, a new worker placement. There'll be one or two spaces to to put workers down and get an, get an additional action. 
Yeah, and they're really quite powerful. Like some of these are game-breaking things. Or, for instance, there's a way to get... I mentioned the Craftsman gives you technology cogs. Once you yourself get to the end of a track, whatever track that is, you can't take that action again. But you can gain a, a building, <laughs> which lets you uh, gain more of those technology uh, tokens. So you can sort of break the rules and um, go beyond what the basic limits of the game let you do. So yeah, those are pretty powerful. The buildings are one of the only few opportunities for real customization here outside of those. Those tracks are always going to be the same generally, but these buildings, you can buy different ones every game. Though crucially, they are like there's what a dozen level one buildings, a dozen level two buildings or something like that you can buy any of them. When you get the ability to buy a building, you can look through the entire stack and take one, which did feel a little bit, very, very much like a, a, an Uwe Rosenberg game <laughs> in that there's all, the, there's all these options available to you and it really behooves you to know what those are and start working towards one in particular at the start of the game. So right. it, it does require a few, a couple of playthroughs to really familiarize yourself with that part of the game. But it's, it's not core. You can, you can easily play this without building any buildings at all yeah that actually really reminds me of eminent domain as well there's <laughs> these technology cards Always you can buy that and <laughs> yeah and those technology cards are visible to everyone you, they're open information so you can you can kind of scope out the technologies you want to buy before you get the the card or the building mm-hmm. yes I feel like Castle is a no-brainer. Yeah, this, this getting castle, more tokens is pretty key. Though, right. though it's, like I said, you don't want to overdo it at the start because then you end up with too many knights, but also you don't have enough tiles to draw. Like You might be able to draw seven tiles, sure, but you don't even have seven tiles in your bag. <laughs> right, but uh, pretty soon you're going to want to draw more tiles because basically every action you're getting a new token. So eventually your bag gets quite bloated. So I imagine most players are going to take the castle action within their first three rounds, at least once. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the red track, the castle with which you get the knight. And it importantly has one of the early, what are they called? Citizens on it? Villagers, I I think. End game points. Yeah. But they they, they are the first person to get to a certain part of the track gets one of these little citizens that they're, they're only on a couple of the tracks and they're first come first serve. So that, that is one of the really cool little moments of like, there's not much direct interaction on your board because you're all just placing on your own, your own boards, but there's these lots of these little moments, these little mini races spread across the game. The first person right. to come here gets this token that is spread around. So that there's lots of little moments of tension trying to 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 be first in these various right kind of like um that those kind of remind me of terraforming mars you know when when you go up on the heat or the oxygen track they're those like one-off bonuses that you get if you are the first to pass a threshold and after that probably the one that's a a real no-brainer that you will take at least a few times is the university track so this is the only way you'll get the scholar, which you don't start with. So the scholar is the gray one, and it sort of raises you up along the very important, I don't know, I don't know what you would call it, the, the points-giving track. <laughs> it's like a points multiplier. <laughs> Pretty much most people will go up this track because it multiplies based off of two other key uh, factors. 
So yeah, the higher the higher you are on this track, the more those citizens will be worth into the game. They could be worth anywhere from one to six points each, depending on how high you are on this track. And also the guild halls that you're putting down on the map is going to increase the value of those similar, similarly. Yeah, and you will gain coins after you pass a certain threshold along these this track. And we mentioned there are the events that might give you like one coin for every star. And coins are basically uh, points at the end of the game. I feel like those are like the real main actions you can take in this game, other than moving around the map of France. But I feel like the next two actions are real kind of bummers or ones <laughs> that I hardly take at all. I don't know if you'll agree, but they're the farmer and the bowman. Yeah, the farmer is interesting. The, the action isn't terribly exciting. You just get a good, which is is worth points into the game. Uh, and the, the further you go up on the on the track, the higher the value of good you, you take. And there, there is this really intri- clever little puzzle or, or sort of tension of the person who's first gets a, a point or coin at the start of each turn, the person at the who's furthest behind loses a coin at the end of, of each round. So that, that is quite uh, – it, it, there is some tension there, but it, it wasn't really enough. Like it, it wasn't – it didn't feel like a, a lot in the grand scheme of the game. <laughs> yeah, it felt like a throwaway – nod like here here's a weaker action that fewer people will take so we'll throw in some little bonus and farmers the the actual token you get for that action aren't particularly powerful either they're quite easy to you can cover those up with the technology tiles uh or or use other like monks if if you need them but otherwise they're not particularly useful and i know you're not really building towards anything by taking that action, just getting a token that's worth points into the game isn't as interesting as getting one of those technology tiles, getting a building. You're not really building towards anything. Right. Yeah. So for that reason, I only begrudgingly ever take that action at the farmhouse. <laughs> and I feel like the boatman, there's even less reason to take it because all you do is you gain some coins. Yeah. Just straight up points. Uh, and, and you don't even need those blue workers for that much, to be honest. Uh, there, there is one particular building that turns those boatmen into a wild. And I was using that on one of the games we played. But it, it, it's a very specialized strategy to take that. Otherwise, that whole track doesn't feel particularly exciting. I think that you do get a citizen at the very end of it, mind you. And I don't think I played it once in my last two games. So, yeah, even even when I had the building that, that turned Boatman into Wilds, it was very hard for me to justify taking that action. <laughs> I just kept going somewhere else instead. Eventually, as you're collecting the tokens and you kind of shape the contents of your bag, then you have enough tokens to place them on multiple actions because basically each round you draw up the limit of the tokens that you have you add them to any tokens that you had left out from unused actions from the previous round maybe you weren't able to complete two actions but you had kind of seeded them with workers next round maybe you draw five or six more then you occupy the remaining spaces as best as you can. And eventually, instead of taking one action per round, you might be taking three or potentially four actions per round. And then it really sort of gains energy and um, much more tension in what you can achieve in that, you know, balloons and balloons and balloons until the, the later rounds of the game, of which this game has 
18 rounds, I believe. Yeah, there is a, a great sense of progression once you get to that point where you're starting to fire off multiple things per turn, but it does sort of put into comparison how plotting those first few rounds are. It's like a lot of work going into just doing a single action, basically. Maybe later expansions streamline that a bit. Yeah, most of the expansions seem to be either quite modular and just tweaking particular elements of the game or you're completely changing how like the, the general structure with like weird scenarios, like whether it's a co-op scenario or uh, there's... Is there a campaign-based one too? I, I, or is that the same same expansion? <laughs> I actually own this product, but there's a there's a spin-off game called Orleans Stories, which I've yet to crack open, and it's like a it's a cam, it's literally a campaign-based product using the Orleans engine to 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 play the the campaign missions. Interesting. Hmm. Now, I think we should probably mention a couple of mid to late game strategies that kind of spice things up a little bit and do provide, I think, some much-needed player interaction. Uh, there's the movement on that map of France. So there's 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 basically the main actions that occupy most of your player board, and then the very top row of your player board are dedicated to moving along this map of France. Yeah. And there's three actions. Ship, do you move along water? What wagon, you move along roads. And as you move along either... You necessarily you jump over one or more goods, and as you jump over a good that's not yet been claimed, you can claim it. And goods are worth points at the end of the game. But secondarily, everyone can build a guild hall in Orleans, but every other town only one player can build a guild hall. Guild halls and citizens. Are both will both multiply the number of star points that you earn on that scholar track. So it, it it's basically one of the keys to earning a ton of points. Yeah, so this map takes up like a good half of the main board of the game. It, it's, it's quite a lot of real estate compared to... It, it, it's basically something of a little mini game. There are a lot of points to be had here, but it, it does feel quite secondary to the, the main thing you're doing. It reminds me a little bit of Beyond the Sun, the the sort of so- solar system, or the, sorry, the, the star system that you're navigating around there to, to get control of the of the planets. That feels more important than, it, than, it, than the amount of space it, it takes up, if you know what I mean. It is fun moving around and trying to find a sort of optimal path. Like obviously it's some of these goods, they have differing values from one to five. So you want to try and maximize the chance of getting those, those the five point silks i think it is and like a grab those before other opponents b try and find an optimal path that, that sets you up to get multiple of them so it might you grab one but it might set you next to a bunch of cheese that isn't worth any points so there it is a fun little mini game trying to find an optimal path there and 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 especially if you try to do so before anyone else and that's one instance in which turn order actually matters trying to to beat someone to a particularly juicy good for sure one annoying step about setting this game up is that you have to take all these like 30 or so resource tokens it's like 50 (laughs) randomize them across this huge map less if you're playing a two-player game and then manually flipping them all up so that's going to take you 10 minutes or, or so which uh, wouldn't happen in a, in a digital version, I think. Well, we played a couple. Th- we played in person last week, 
which was very nice. Mm-hmm. We played with the, the deluxe um, Geek Up. Yeah, the discs. acrylic tokens from from Board Game Geek. Yeah, and that feels very luxurious to play with those. It has a nice tactile feel. For the first that. time I played this game years ago, it was with those, and it kind of spoiled me. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> it's a game I, I enjoyed that I wanted to buy, but I, I couldn't. I, I didn't want like a peasant version of the copy. I needed to have the like the fully deluxe version. So you're you're more of a, a trader and a monk rather than a, <laughs> a farmer and a boatman. Yes, is, is what you're saying. <laughs> I think so. Got it. <laughs> right, but but uh, like I said, uh, most recently we played digitally on um, Tabletopia. Mm-hmm. There's an official mod on Tabletopia. All so the expansions, I, I believe, too. Yeah, at least a couple of the expansions, and I sprang for the premium for this month to play this. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> I think it's worth it. It's it's a decent execution, although my browser, for some reason, was not loving it. it took me like half an hour to drag a token from across the screen. <laughs> yeah, so it, was, it was like literally watching the good move across the map in real time. <laughs> the next couple of actions are uh, pretty important. So two, it's kind of two integrated things, is the... Well, the main thing is the beneficial deeds board. Yeah, is this town hall? I think they call it, where the beneficial deeds are occupied. And basically, this is kind of like a what is it? This is kind of like a like a Lego minifig collector case, <laughs> if you want to envision that, uh, where there's these separate sort of categories, and the categories are wanting to be filled with certain workers and. Most importantly, these worker tokens cannot be one of your starting worker tokens. So say I'm the blue player, I have a farmer that has a blue layer at the bottom of it, or a boatman that has a blue layer at the bottom of it. Those cannot be contributed to the beneficial deeds board. You have to put in the generic workers that you gain through taking the actions now, when you place those in those spots, you might gain a coin. You might gain two or three coins, or you might move up on the scholar track. But really what you're playing at here is you're trying to fill some of these categories before the other players do. But I'm, I'm not even describing that perfectly because <laughs> other players can contribute to a category. You just want to be the last person to put a worker within that category because once that category is satisfied it might be monk monk knight or it might be scholar scholar trader if you're the last person to put the last required token down you gain a citizen and those citizens are so critical to multiplying your points at the end of the game so that's a really nice way that player interaction is built into the game and it has a bit of uh, a bit of a bite to it i feel like yeah, it's interesting. Each location has this sort of set collection element you, that you're placing the workers down. Everyone who puts the worker there gets the immediate benefit, like a couple, one or two coins or, or a book, for example. But only the person who goes there last gets the citizen. So it creates this interesting game of chicken. But you, you don't want right. to be the person to put the second last token down because someone can then easily – swoop in put the last worker down and, and, and get the villager so there definitely is tension there i don't know that it's particularly interesting because it, it just creates this stalemate where no one's willing to do, do anything <laughs> you know what i really like i really like the beneficial deeds board <laughs> and i feel it's sort of like the the heart of the game or at least the heart of the late game of orleans and you know it really points out one of the weaknesses of this game though this this part that I enjoy so much, it really fell flat at two players. Yeah, that's 
a big part of it. Um, we we played two plays in Tabletopia, and I don't know what like if the tension is just better at, at, at three or four. There, I mean, you're still risking other players putting it down, but this is more likely that someone will leave us it will leave an opening for you. I guess it's just more pressure to start. Yeah, I think it's just more people vying to fill up those spots. So the the size of the beneficial deeds board does not change from two player to four player. There's no differences. There's no like fewer slots open for two players versus four. So when we played with the the four of us at your house the other day. I just felt felt like it was a real kind of tense match where we're eyeing eyeballing each other <laughs> just to see turn order, and I feel like turn order came up at least two or three times. Yeah, like you're looking. Oh, d- does Mark have the blue worker that needs that would that would complete the set? If oh he oh he doesn't have blue, I can I can start f- filling that one up. For example, right. I feel like in two players, the only way I could take true advantage of it was by uh, taking a specific building card, mm-hmm. which I, I remember it's called the Gunpowder Tower or something like that. In English, anyways, <laughs> uh, in German, it's something else. And basically, there's these two actions on the board, which are called the Rat House. They let you burn worker tokens. And early in the game, this is not a good strategy early in the game. You need those worker tokens to really take these actions at all. So you want to hold on to them, but eventually, eventually you have, you know, 20, 20 tokens in your bag or something like that. And you just don't get to see them all. So you, you're going to want to burn them and everyone can burn them in their own player board using the rat house. Basically you can burn up to two tokens per round and you can burn one of them or two of them at a time. Yeah, you know, it only really becomes a, st- a strategy in the last few rounds of the game. So I- I'd really like to see it be a little more sort of spread, like something something that, that gives a bit of benefit early in the game, more reason to be engaging with that over the whole game rather than just this sudden last minute race to start plopping guys down. Right. And, and, you know, I don't have a good a bead on the winning strategy of this game because I, I very rarely win it if I ever at all, but I, I intentionally wanted to compete at least at the town hall at the beneficial deeds. So I bought the gunpowder tower in our most recent two player game. And basically it gives you two more spots where you can burn worker tokens. So I thought, hey, some of these actions require three or four workers. I can do it in one round. I can totally edge (laughs) Daniel out, and that'll be my winning strategy. Spoiler alert, I didn't win that game. It was very close, though, I seem to recall. (laughs) I did grab a couple of citizens that way, but it didn't have any of the bite. It didn't have any of the tension because, well, it was basically me. It was up to me to execute on that strategy or not. Daniel couldn't stop me, and neither was Daniel helping me because he wasn't contributing to those categories on the offhand that he might succeed on his own. Yeah, when you can put four workers out in one turn, you really have a lot of control over that. That, would, that wouldn't be the case in a three- or four-player game because between each of your actions, there's a lot more changing in that board state there. Right. So again, this it reminds me a little bit of Viscounts of the West Kingdom that I've been playing recently, and that there's a lot of these little moments of indirect interaction that just make the board feel more alive and the, the you want more players to just make that 
happen more often, if you know what I mean. It just really multiplies the the number of cases that you're getting these these little moments of of um, dynamic sort of board state changes. This game, a lot of its teeth, a lot of its tension is stripped at two players. And I wonder even if you play with, you know, your partner or your good friend multiple times, I wonder if you would, you know, eventually have fixed opening turns. Yeah, it definitely did feel that way. There's not really any variety to the, at the start of the game. You always start with the same four workers. You always have the same options available to you. There'll always be the same event in the first round. So it can feel a little programmed those yeah. first few rounds. Right. The first event, the first event is fixed. It has to be the uh, pilgrimage, I think it's called. Yes, which but, prevents you from right. drafting monks. But the other seventeen are variable, so that adds some variety. And then the placement of the uh, goods tokens on the uh, map of France is also variable, but it's not enough to inject any sort of I don't know oomph. Yeah, but most most of the replayability here is going to be from that player interaction. Those those those, those all, all those little races, those little moments of, of tension in this game. I feel there is a, a suggestion that advanced players can sort of do this anti-draft, where you can choose certain uh, building tiles to remove from the game, which I thought was interesting. Basically, you know, if if your buddy, your good pal, or your partner really always goes for the gunpowder tower strategy then you can just <laughs> nix it you know say uh-huh. well i choose this one not in the game uh which is a sort of sort of becomes a meta game in its its own right because- right, like dota so that these um you, you banning certain heroes in, in in dota tournaments or something <laughs> nice nice i didn't realize there was a a moba connection to, to this <laughs> uh another a bit of a nitpick i have with this game is well wouldn't be a, po- a proper podcast if we didn't talk about the plagues. Uh-huh. Uh, there's these dreaded, the most powerful, I think, events in the event deck. There's three three of each. When this comes, at the end of the round in which you reveal the plague event, every player must pull one token at random out of their bag, and whatever token comes out, so long as it's not one of your starting uh, tokens must be trashed or returned to the supply, I believe is, is the rule, but basically you lose it. Mm-hmm. If in this round you explicitly went to the monastery to get a monk and you draw that monk token out, it's gone, pal. And meanwhile, the other player drew his starting farmer. And so nothing happens. He just goes back in the back. <laughs> right. Right. And now it's a very, you know, it's very possible that you have too many, I don't know, uh, boatmen or whatever and you would like to lose one so great but it just seemed highly variable and highly random in such a you know what seems to be a strategic game most of the events are very predictable you were yes. going to earn x coins at the end of this round for this requirement but th- this is the only one that, that that's really unpredictable and quite punishing Right. I said that there's a, there's, a, there's a big dichotomy between someone losing their only monk and someone, and, and literally nothing happening to the other player. Especially if it happens early in the game. Yeah. In our four player game, I feel like I got burnt pretty heavily by the plague because I think we had like two plagues in the first three rounds or something. Yeah. yeah they, they came really early. 
and I lost, some people didn't lose anything at all. And then I lost like my first night or something like that. And later on, I lost something as well. And I feel, I felt pretty salty about that. Yeah, I, I think I lost my only scholar before I had a chance to use him at all. Right. So that's pretty game changing to lose a piece yeah. you didn't want to lose. And I believe you can take those events out of the game. I, I, I haven't read the rules myself, but I seem to recall some chatter about this game being pretty modular in the sense that it, it lets you customize the, those set. Like you can just, the game will be slightly shorter, but you can just take those those events out of the game entirely did you feel like there was a a game winning strategy or any sort of like imbalance overall uh i mean obviously i think rushing well not necessarily rushing but but focusing on the what do you call it the 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 books the the scholar yeah the scholar track is pretty key like in, in most in both games i think that was maxed out by the wall pretty close to being maxed out by the winner so it, it feels very compulsory yeah, that, sense. that was one of the few cases, uh, even in our, in our two-player game, where the number of worker tokens next to an action, like the university track, is fixed. So I already mentioned that if you personally reach the end of the track, you can't take that action again, because you can't take a worker token. But if there aren't any worker tokens, because everyone else took that action before you did, you can't take that action either. <laughs> so you're going to find that in a four-player game, two of the players might be really far up and the person that didn't know to go to the university might really be left out of the loop. Especially in this game when balance is so important. You you really don't, you can't be focusing once on one mechanic. You really have to be doing a little bit of everything. And so it can be quite punishing for a little late to the party in any particular element of it. I, I do, I do like that. It's a little organic, like this organic way of limiting a player action uh, in terms of you not being able to do that again, but but mostly in terms of reaching the end of the track. Okay. You've maxed out this part of the game. You can't do it anymore in a, in a a quite organic way. I did. I do enjoy that at least. Right. And I think in all aspects of the game, basically if there are not enough tokens, you, you can't take the benefit of the thing. For instance, I bought a, you know, a building tile that let me convert, uh, take an action to gain a cloth. And in our two-player game, the supply of cloth was not so ample. So basically I took it three times and then I was out. I couldn't take that building action anymore because there weren't any more to collect. Yeah, that's the one other instance in which you might see people requesting the turn order, like the actions you played in, in turn order, where there's like, say there's only one, night left and two players want to take the the, the castle action but the first person will, will take that action the second person just won't be able to do it so you, you might if you see that that's, that's a possibility you probably want to want to request the the play the, the turn order to, to see what they're going to do once you flip the last uh the round in which you flip the last event is is the last round of the game because there's 18 rounds those 18 events are always going to come up. So that acts as a game clock. Uh, at the end of that round, you play until no worker can go. And then you count up your resources, of which there's sort of a, a escalating scale of point conversion. Uh, each coin that you have is worth one point. And then, like we said, you add your guild halls to your citizens, and you multiply that total by however far up the scholar track you you are in stars. And you convert all that into coins, and that's your winning score. High score wins. That's it. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I think we've covered most of our thoughts for the, for the individual parts. I do, I do want, to, want to state here, I think we've undersold a little bit how much I enjoy the core loop of this game. Just the draw, drawing tiles out of a bag and this little optimization puzzle of trying to figure out where on your board you're going to put them. Uh, I, I do do really enjoy that, especially when towards the sort of midpoint of the game where you've got, say, six tiles, you're going to be able to fire off two actions. Do you, you can you can take two actions now, or do you take one and then start queuing up some some workers for the for a, a powerful turn next round, for example? So I I, I do think that core loop is the the, big, the biggest enjoyment of this. I I, I certainly a lot of nitpicks I've had and, and have made. But uh, that is is still very, very enjoyable. One hundred percent agree. Like you can look at the rule book and see how cleanly it's laid out, but you cannot sort of quantify the tactile enjoyment you gain from pulling just the right hand of tokens out of a bag, especially if they happen to be those kind of lacquered uh, <laughs> yes. geek up tokens. Nice uh, little clacks. <laughs> yeah, I played with the cardboard as well, and it's also very satisfying. So no, no knock at the base game. I think it's another reason why the, the, the playing two player on tabletopia uh, fell flat for us. Just you really want a tactile element for this game. For sure. Yeah. The sort of the, the, the tension was sapped out of the game to be quite honest, in our two-player, most recent two-player play of it. That said, that's not going to stop me from trying to play this solo again. I'm going to hit up Tabletopia and try out that solo expansion, which is only available in some of the later expansions. But in person, there's something quite enjoyable about picking up these pieces and putting them into bags and drawing them out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do want to... There's one one expansion in particular, Trade and Intrigue, I've heard changes the, the balance at two players and also completely changes the, the beneficial deeds board, with a bit, I, I believe, with a sort of take that mechanic, uh, a quite more direct player interaction. So I'm, that's, that's, I think that's the most curious... Of, of I'm I'm I want to try of the of the various expansions. I I, I don't know that I want to rush into a, a co-op version of this right yet. This yet I want to see what they can do with this with this core game first. It's not a perfect game, but uh, you know I'll say this: I love this game. Uh, our previous guest Jamie Daggers was also said that they were quite enamored with this game. There's something about it that just hooks one when you when you pull those pieces out and, and apparently it's not so dry that you can't get uh, a non-gamer into it because uh, you know, it sort of makes sense. You know, you put the pieces down, you, you, you hit that slot machine and you gain the reward and it, there's something pleasurable about building up a little trade empire. And that's what you're doing here in a very tactile way. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, because it's all largely playing simultaneous, it's a, it has a good sense of flow generally that you're just looking down at your own, own board and, and only occasionally worrying about those little moments of tension. I, I do think, I, I mentioned earlier, Paladins of the Western Kingdom. I do think I prefer that in a similar sense. It's not bag building, obviously, but it has a similar pace, I feel, to putting out workers with this sort of indirect sideboard for player interaction. I think that's a sort of good evolution of this, but yeah, drawing. I always like drawing things out of a bag, and this this is uh, a, a great example of that. I've played Altiplano, which I also enjoy. It's it's similar and different to this game, so I, I won't go at length about it because maybe we'll talk about it in the future. But um, it's it's different. It's it's worth trying out on its own as a sort of a second pass at this bag building phenomenon. 
Yeah, I played, I played that one online and don't have a lot of memory. I, I looked up some details out of curiosity. I do believe one thing it adds is like a discard pile. So in in, in Orleans, you can, dr- say, draw a monk and, and use it in a turn, cycle it back, and immediately draw it again. Whereas in Altiplano, you basically discard any tiles you used and then keep drawing the rest of the tokens in your bag. So you, you're going to cycle through your whole bag. And so there's probably a little bit more sense of predictability there. So you're, you're going to definitely going to see all, all everything in your bag. Yeah. There are, there are some other niceties about that game as well as there's more um, spatial elements as in you have to move to a region to take the, an action in that region, which is makes it a little bit more strategic in, in what's, order you take your actions which is not so much with the fixed player boards and or they yeah I, and i believe i seem to recall a more focus on the buildings as well so you can really customize your your actions available to you when, when you've got more of those buildings in play yeah those personal buildings are come out in a randomized fashion there's a sort of a trading auction area and it's it's a little bit as a little bit of player interaction and tension and who's going to get that one and at what price and it, it will definitely tailor your strategy towards how to win uh, that game of altibano hmm. maybe i need to revisit that one then <laughs> yeah there's, there's a good video on um there's a good video by shut up and sit down yes yeah uh, that's worth checking out on on that and its first expansion and um, who knows? Maybe it's even on uh, Tabletopia Altipano as well. So. I think that's what we played it last time. Yeah. Oh well, maybe we should give it a, a second <laughs> chance. I, no, I know. I I, th- I really want to play it in person, though. Like I think playing Oleons on Tabletopia made me realize how much you need those physical tokens. Yeah. Well, shout out to our friendly local game store, uh, Rain City Games. I'm pretty certain that they have a nice copy on their uh, open box uh, uh, bookshelf. Oh really? I was look- I looked for a copy in for sale last week and it wasn't there, but I didn't think to check the library. <laughs> yeah, check it out. I will do. Okay, so any any final thoughts? I think my final thought is that we should talk about the next game we're playing. No, I, I like Orlando. Go play it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, I would like a. I wouldn't mind seeing like a, a BGA implementation of this. Oh man, I would be playing that every single second <laughs> of the day. As much as I just said how you, you need that physical part, I, something that uh, is a, a nice implementation of being able to drag, like without having to drag all the pieces back and forth, uh, a nice little streamlined digital implementation, I think. Yeah, maybe a tablet nice. version. That would be nice. Just drag yeah. those tokens to the spots. <laughs> anyway, so uh, coming up next time on the pod, what are we looking at? Yeah, we are uh, flipping to the video game side of the coin. And we are going to be playing the new hotness that everyone is talking about that was dropped on Xbox Game Pass. It's called Hi-Fi Rush. Yeah, something of a a rhythm platformer, I guess. Rhythm combat action platformer. You might yeah, say. this this game came out of nowhere, being getting nothing but but great reviews from what I've seen. So uh, we're a little behind behind the, the buzz, but uh, very excited to jump into that and, and see what it's about. Yeah, check it out. It's on Xbox Game Pass. Play along with us. Let us know what you think about it by uh, going to Omni Gamers Club on Twitter or emailing us at omnigamersclub at gmail.com. Yes, yeah. Please send in your questions or comments on the on this last episode. 
That's right. And uh, let's talk a little bit. Uh, let's get some business out of out of the way about our next episode, because there's an event happening that we're both attending. Yes. Yeah. So we've got another local convention coming up in a couple of weeks. Terminal City Tabletop Convention. I am admittedly quite biased. I'm now on the sort of organization committee there helping helping run things. I mean, very much on a volunteer basis. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for that. I've been along a few times in the past. This is the first year post-pandemic. It's, it's been uh, out of commission for a little bit. So very excited to see some some local friends again and a couple of friends coming in from out of town. Oh, very nice. Yeah, um, shoot them my way. I know you're going to be um, probably volunteer desk bound for a little while. Yes, yeah, <laughs> at least, at least when, when it first opens. But yeah, if you're there and you see me, reach out to me. I'll probably be looking for a game to play. So yeah, just give me a shout out. Uh, if you see me, uh, you can know what my face looks like uh, on uh, Instagram. <laughs> there you go. Excellent. Well, I hope to see you there. I mean, I will see you definitely, but uh, the collective you, <laughs> I hope to see you there. Uh, the, ro- the royal you. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thank yeah. you, Mark. Yeah, thanks. And uh, because of that uh, that event, our next episode might come a little bit later than usual, but don't worry. Keep your uh, subscriptions dialed and we will certainly be there before long. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, until then, everyone listening, have a, a very balanced diet of gaming. Keep gaming. Thanks and bye. Bye.